Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. In today's episode, we have a birth story episode around an important topic, addiction. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. 
Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 122. Thank you. Thank you for being here and spending a bit of your time with me today. On today's episode, we have Cassie. Cassie recently became a first time mom with her husband, who she's, she's been married to for over two and a half years. Cassie describes herself as a grateful recovering addict. Now, even though Cassie's been clean for over five and a half years, her birth story shows how her addiction affected her own experience during her birth, as well as her daughter's experience. Her daughter, unfortunately, reaped some consequences from Cassie's past addiction. And we're going to hear all about that in the episode today. Now, I have to be honest that the topic of addiction in pregnancy is not something that I have felt particularly passionate about. And let me tell you why. Back in the 90s, 2000s or so, when crack cocaine was an epidemic in black communities, the solution was just to throw everybody in jail. And it wasn't until white suburban women started having issues with using pills and um, narcotic pills, you know, oxycontin, oxycodone, that we started looking at addiction differently and realizing it for what it is, which is a disease. And that left a little bit of bitterness because people in communities that look like me were treated very differently. And some of those past wrongs have not been righted. There's still people in jail, for instance, for drug-related offenses related to use. And um, whereas that wouldn't be the case if that happened today. Also, in the the vein of um, speaking about drugs, like the legalization of marijuana has shown that it is primarily so far benefiting white males really more than anybody else and being able to create really profitable businesses around the legalization of marijuana, whereas black folks and folks in communities of color where it had been used, but not legally, they aren't able to get the same footing, the same establishment to turn those illegal practices into legal businesses and still issues of past wrongs where people who sold marijuana before are still in jail for that and don't have the opportunity to create businesses around that. So that is why addiction in general just hasn't been something that, again, I have felt particularly passionate about. However, I do know and I 100% recognize and I appreciate that this is an important topic. I see it more and more and more in my practice. I suspect that um, you may know someone who's been affected by it because it's really, really common. So we are going to talk about that today with Cassie. So Cassie is going to share with us her addiction journey, how she was able to get clean how her pregnancy was okay, but the birth and the recovery were actually quite challenging for her, um, how she struggled with pain management postpartum, how her daughter was affected by her addiction and had to stay in the NICU for a bit because of that, and how she had trouble bonding with her baby and much, much more. Now, I know that the topic of addiction can have a lot of shame around it. So I'm really grateful that Cassie comes on and shares her story in a way that's very honest, very authentic, and very real. 
I was so very impressed with Cassie and her self-insight in particular. So I know that you are going to learn something from this conversation just like I did. So without further ado, let's get into this birth story discussion with Cassie. Thank you so much, Cassie, for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I'm really grateful that you are here to share your story. It's an important story. And uh, like I said, I'm so glad that you reached out to share it. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad you accepted. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your family? Um, I'm 29 years old. I'm born and raised in Mansfield, Ohio. Um, I have been married for almost two years. And we just recently had our first daughter in February. All right. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, if you're comfortable, then please share a little bit about your addiction journey. Well, um, how to summarize that? That was about, (laughs) it started in high school. Um, I was one of the just weekend partiers. And it eventually, um, I was very uneducated about any of the harder drugs. And what ended up happening was I got introduced to the harder stuff and I was willing to try everything, um, being very naive of what the long-term consequences could be. So for about uh, five years of my life, Mm -hmm. um, I was in and out of rehabs from um, heroin. And luckily I came to my senses and I've been, um, clean for over five and a half years. Congratulations to you for that. And that is a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah. What do you think it was that finally helped you to, um, take control of your addiction? Well, I starting out as a teenager, I was started drinking very early. So I don't think I ever learned to cope with any feelings or anything without alcohol or drugs. So once I got a good stretch of what it's like to be a normal functioning human of society, whatever that is, but without drugs, I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I liked not having something run my life. And I admitted I was powerless and I have this disease that if I pick up anything, I won't be able to control it. And then it just, it's been working ever since. Take it a day at a time. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Perfect, perfect sense. So you find yourself pregnant and um, why don't we talk a little bit about how your pregnancy care was different because of your history of addiction? So I, this when I got clean over five and a half years ago, I got put on a medication called buprenorphine or others know it as Subutex. So mm-hmm. because I have been titrating off that over the years, um, when I got pregnant, um, cause I was told it was okay. I checked with my OB. She's like, absolutely. I deal with patients all the time. So we got pregnant with second try and, um, I had to do NSTs starting my third trimester twice a week, every single week to monitor her. And I saw a physician and besides that, it was pretty straightforward. Nothing out of the ordinary. Right. They didn't want me to, they, I was able to titrate while I had her in me. They said, it's, that's okay. 
but not to push it too far because if I'm withdrawing or feeling uneasy, it could affect her. Gotcha. So I did the best I could to get down as low as I could. Gotcha. So during your pregnancy, you were trying to continually get a lower dose of the medication in order to um, get as low as doses you felt comfortable with and not go through withdrawal or feel the urge to go back to using heroin again. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And do you feel like, how did you feel was the care and support that you got from your physician? I was very impressed. I never felt judgment at all. It was really simple. Um, I later on the hospitals where I had some issues, but, um, okay. Okay. But you felt like your physician and did you see the same physician your whole pregnancy or was it like different physicians in a practice? Um, so there's five physicians there. So what was recommended to me is to meet every single one because babies are unpredictable and I won't know who could possibly be there to deliver her. So I met everybody and then I ended up picking a female who I absolutely loved and, Unfortunately, due to my daughter wanting to come a week early, she didn't get to deliver me, but I knew the guy who did at least. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that you don't feel like you faced any sort of um, judgment because you had a history of addiction. Right. Somehow I hear awful experiences and somehow, I don't know, my mom always told me, you know, we raised you with class and you give off a very... um, classy demeanor. And she's like, I think people feed off of that and they can see that I'm clearly okay now. Right. I've been lucky, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, some of us haven't quite come around yet and judge people for a variety of reasons, um, during pregnancy. So again, I'm glad that you were able to find some, some, some good, good support. And I guess we'll get to what happened in the hospital. Yes. Yeah. So what things did you do to prepare for your birth? Oh, well, I listened to your podcast 24-7. Literally, I I was getting my, uh, the nursery done and I just, you're the first pregnancy podcast I found. So I got so much education through there, but then I, closer to, I started panicking. I'm like, I need to take a birth class. But because of COVID, my um, doctor's office, they had, um, they were supposed to have them available for zoom. And then by the time that I needed to get one, it was no longer available. Mm -hmm. So I did, um, online one through, I can't even tell you where, but it was like seven sessions I had to watch. And I was, it was all nothing that pertained to me because I ended up needing a C-section. That's another thing is my, uh, daughter was breech. Okay. 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 Got it. Got it. Got it. And, um, did you, were you happy though with the, the course in the sense that if you felt like, I guess if you were going to have a vaginal birth, did you, did you feel prepared for that, but you just didn't feel prepared for the possibility or what could happen with the cesarean? Correct. Okay. All right. And then were you wanting any additional information like in relation to, a cesarean and then the subutex or I guess having a baby and how that might affect how being on the subutex may affect your baby. Were you worried at all about that or did you feel prepared for that? Oh, I was completely 
freaking out. Mm. And I asked my doctor and they told me to expect to stay. Like after I had her, expect to stay. But it just depends. Like people can be on, they've had patients on say eight milligrams of this medicine and their baby does not withdraw. Or they have people on even lower dose, two milligrams, and the baby's in the NICU for a month. It is so unpredictable, um, but I did not. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be in, be in there like five days. But regardless, nobody could give me anything or prepare me for this experience. And I tr- tried so hard to find other podcasts, and it's just not really talked about. That's really true. You're bringing up something that um, I don't think we, we realize. Uh, we definitely, I think, have gotten better about getting people through the pregnancy, but we don't have a lot of resources to help people understand what it's going to be like in the postpartum period, especially in that immediate postpartum period when it's really critical. Yes. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever consider like, because you were worried about what might happen. And I, and we should say that the, the worry is that the baby can withdraw from the medicine as, as well. Did you ever um, consider that you were just going to stop taking the medicine altogether because of that concern about what it, what may happen? Um, So that was not recommended by my doctor because I would have went through withdrawal, but from what I have gone through this time, I can say I will not have another child until I am off of this. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. It was very bad. <laughs> oh my and you're, you're absolutely right. We don't recommend that you stop taking it uh, because the, with, you know, because you need it for your health. But I know that some people think in the back of their mind that maybe they want to, but that's really interesting that you're saying that you, you don't want to have another child until you're off it. I guess we'll hear some reasons why. Um, so was there anything in particular that you wanted for your birth before, you know, as you were going through the classes and, um, was there anything that you wanted? Well, once I started really preparing, um, and taking the classes, so that was my third trimester every, well, twice a week, I got confirmation that my daughter was the wrong way. So as much as I was getting prepared for vaginal birth, (laughs) my daughter was saying otherwise, gotcha. Um, so as much as I was like, you know, wanting to, cause every, literally the question, it wasn't if I was having a boy or girl, people were asking me if I was going to get an epidural or not. Got it. So, and I'm like, I'm going to 
try not to, but I don't, um, I don't want to be like, I am not doing this without any medication at all and then jeopardizing her or anything. Yeah. You were open to going with the flow of the process. Yes. Yeah. And just kind of deciding in the moment what you felt will work best for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then what was your birth actually like? Oh boy. (laughs) So it was a week earlier than anticipated because I went for an NST. Uh Uh-huh. On Thursday, and my Uh fluid was 11, and my 38-week appointment was the next day. Well, we did a confirmation on the ultrasound to make sure my daughter was still breached, and my fluid was down to 6.5. Okay. So um, my doctor said, I'm going to, she's like, I want you to go home and get your bag and get to the hospital. We might be leaking amniotic fluid, or amniotic, is that right? Not amniotic, yeah. Okay, fluid. Mm -hmm. Um. So she sent me there while well, I had to go get my husband, get everybody together. And I'm panicking at this point because this, this is seven days earlier than the planned C-section. Right. Um, I did want to say I was offered to flip her, uh-huh. but my fluid was running low all throughout NST. So doctor wasn't really comfortable with it. I wasn't comfortable with it. Got it. Um, so it was looking C-section. It was. So we get to the hospital and the doctor didn't run any tests, the doctor on call, he said, you are 38 days plus one. Your baby is okay right now. Like they put the NST on me and checked her that way. Mm -hmm. He said, we're just going to go ahead and take her because there's no reason to wait a week and wait for something to be wrong with her when she's okay right now. So then within two hours, (laughs) okay, let me back up. So then they came in and started prepping me. Um, Mm -hmm. That care was phenomenal. So then they take me to the room Uh and husband could not be in there, but they gave me the spinal. And that was really hard for me because I am numb from the waist down. And that is the first time in a very long time I have been powerless over part of my body. Mm. So that was a little triggering to me. Um, Gotcha. Now I get like, I'm trying to back up for a second. So everything happened really fast in a way that you just were just not expecting. Right. It was once I got to the hospital, it was literally within five minutes. I had seven people in my room getting me ready, even though it wasn't an emergency C-section. They must have just not had anything to do. Because It was just like, let's go. You're here. We're here. Let's do it. (laughs) My people asking me questions at once. It was absurd. Oh, my gosh. I, I did that feel, I mean, how did that feel for you? Was it overwhelming? Uh, it, it was, I did appreciate that everybody was very, um, they talked me through what they were going to do and it was just an awesome team of doctors and nurses. I couldn't have asked for better in that area. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. So then you get into the, the OR, not even, you said two hours after you get to the hospital. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Not even. Okay. And then you get this spinal and at, even though I'm sure they're talking you through, like you're not going to feel this, you know, the things, it sounds like you weren't prepared for that feeling of not, because you very much have no control, like over the lower half of your <laughs> body. <laughs> right. And how does that, how does that relate to your addiction and not feeling control. I'm trying to understand the connection, I guess. 
So the fact that I was laying there mm-hmm. and I could have very easily freaked out because I was internally panicking um, because I couldn't move. I mean, it probably was just a wave of overwhelming. And I, ever since I even got clean, I'm very, uh, I struggle with identifying my feelings still. Sure. So the fact that my lower like my arms were, you know, out in a tea and I had my husband, I just kept squeezing his hand because uh-huh. that reminded me that, okay, you have control over this. You just need to breathe. And I'm talk saying this stuff in my head um, right. and talking to him, but just my legs, oh, I, I really, I was almost speechless. Oh um, my goodness. Cause when, when you're using drugs, at least for me, what happens is the drugs get such a hold on you. Mm-hmm. It's eventually no longer a choice. Like the drugs are running your life. You no longer are. And when I couldn't move my legs and I didn't know any better, like I couldn't connect that. Oh, I'm about to have a baby girl in 15 minutes. It was just like, this sucks. Yes. Wow. Wow. That I, I just, I, I don't think I could have ever, imagine that perspective that's really powerful that you're able able to communicate that and that makes you know perfect not that my opinion of it matters but to me it makes perfect perfect sense (laughs) yes so then how how did you how did you feel when your daughter was born so that was another thing is I did not realize this, was not prepared for it ahead of time, but when they took her out of me, well, surprisingly, they let my husband stand up and watch her being removed out of me. Okay. Um, which he's, you know, was super cool because not every um father gets to do that. And she had um she whimpered instantly, but she had some fluid in her lungs, so they had to take her straight over to get oxygen. And her feet were also up by her head. She was pretty rich. So it was like they were working on her for a minute. And finally, um, my husband asked the anesthesiologist, like, is everything okay? And he's like, "Uh, they're normally not. They normally don't take this long. Let me go see what's going on. And once again, I'm stuck on this table. um, And I'm just like, I I have no emotion right now. I am in shock. And um then once they did bring her over to me, they laid her by my head and the anesthesiologist got pictures of me and my husband. Um, I still like no emotion. Um, my husband actually was crying, but I was still um, in shock. I didn't like that. I couldn't hold her. I was out in a tea. It was just, it was awful. Um, right. And then they had to take her back away because she needed oxygen and she went straight to the NICU. Oh. For fluid, this was nothing to do with the medication yet. Okay, okay. Because yeah, sometimes when babies are born by cesarean, they don't get the same squeeze as when they go through the vagina. So sometimes they have fluid in their lungs and it's just a little bit, um, you know, they have a little bit of trouble transitioning. Plus she was a teensy bit, a bit early. So I'm guessing that probably contributed to it as well. Yes, and that's exactly um, what they explained to me. And I'm almost grateful because I also wasn't prepared for the pain after the cesarean. So Mm. I'm almost grateful that I had her in the NICU for them to take care of her because I don't know how I could have. Oh, wow. 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 
So then they took her to the NICU still while they were finishing up your cesarean. Is that right? Uh, yes. While he was closing me up. Okay. Okay. And then what was that postpartum period like for you? You already alluded to some difficulties with pain. How, how else was the postpartum period like, I guess, both for you and your daughter? Well, I was struggling in the sense that, um, so I asked to go, my husband was able to go see her and hold Mm -hmm. her before I could, Mm -hmm. um, the nurses had, I had some major issues getting um, medication, which we can get that to that later. But um, so I did not get to hold my daughter. She was born at 3.30 p.m. and I did not get to hold her until 2 a.m., mm. um, which is when I asked, can you please wheel me down to see her? Right. And um, even holding her, like I couldn't grasp in my head that she was mine. Right. I had a I had probably for my whole stay at the hospital, which was 17 days, um, I had a hard time accepting that she was mine. And I don't know if it's because I didn't physically like push her out of me or see her taken out of me, but the bond and the connection was a serious struggle. Wow. Wow. Did you, did you feel comfortable sharing that with anyone? Because, and I, I, you know, this isn't helpful now, but I, that actually is not that uncommon that people have trouble bonding with their baby. But did you feel like I can't tell anybody this or I don't know how to say this or anything like that? Well, in the hospital, because I was dealing with um, her withdrawing, um, that I really was not focused on my, I had two breakdown episodes in the hospital. Um, and I shared them with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he also in recovery as well. And cause I knew he would get it. Sure. But then once I got out and back home, that is, um, I did reach out to my counselor cause I was starting to panic. I'm like, it's been almost a month and I still do not feel a connection with her. And she really helped put it in perspective for me that it was just like you said, not that uncommon. And sometimes it takes time to build relationships. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's talk about, we'll talk about your daughter withdrawing, but if you don't mind first, I'd like to, I'd like to touch upon, upon your pain control after a cesarean, because we often use narcotics to control pain and there's a worry that that could trigger a relapse like how were you able to manage it how were you treated well <laughs> so the because of i don't know how to say this the cr- correct way basically my doctor had i talked to my doctor about this ahead of time like what do you normally do like is this something i can manage with just Tylenol because i have in within the past two years, I've had another, um, surgery where I did use narcotics successfully just for the pain and I was done with it. Okay. Took me a long time to get there. So this time the doctor had narcotics prescribed, but the nurses took it upon themselves to not give them to me that I needed to try Tylenol first, Mm. which I just, I was fine with that. I said, okay, well, I'm starting to um, feel stuff. It's becoming a numb. Like I let them know hours ahead of time. Sure. And uh, 
they were all different. Like, oh, well, the doctor prescribed this, but with your history, we, we're just going to give you Tylenol. I'm like, that's fine. I'll try that. Um, I didn't like how I knew what the doctor prescribed and they were taking it in their own hands, judging me clearly. Um, but once we, it took literally, I rang in the nurse bell. It'd been about three hours and I still hadn't got not even my Tylenol. And uh, I was starting to get angry at this point because I was hurting very bad. Yes. And my sister had to call into the hospital and she was <laughs> like a mess. And they of course couldn't tell her anything. But then when I called back on the nurse line, they said they'd be right in and nobody came. And then 45 minutes later, I called again and a nurse came in. And from that point forward, I made sure to stay on top of my pain meds because I was not dealing with that nonsense. Gotcha. So now can you take ibuprofen? Uh, yes, I could after I had her, but they were, I think they had me mixing. Um, so after the Tylenol didn't work, then we just did Motrin Mm -hmm. alternating with Vicodin. Okay. Okay. So here you are saying as early as possible, Hey, I'm feeling some pain. Can we get on top of things? And then you didn't get a response for four hours. Uh, it was almost five. And then at that point, do you feel like, was there ever any like, Oh, now she's drug seeking. Uh, I felt like that because of how panicked I was starting to get because the pain was increasing. (laughs) My brain automatically goes there. Um, They didn't, the girl who came in and brought my Tylenol, she's like, I'm sorry, the pharmacy, they blamed it on the pharmacy, but I don't know why it's so hard to get Tylenol. Probably because he didn't have it prescribed for me, if that is the case. Yeah, I mean, it really shouldn't be that difficult to get something that your husband could have ran out to Walgreens or something and got, you know, so um, it's just, you know, it's just a little bit fresh. I mean, I just can see how that, it just feels hard that you were trying, but, you know, especially I think in your circumstance, for sure, we want, and, and even you said, like, I've done, I want to try to just do um, you know, I'm open to try these things, but when you meet that resistance, especially in the beginning of the recovery, it could, of, of the recovery from the surgery, I mean, it could really set you back when you get behind on the pain. That's what I was trying to avoid. And I, I really feel maybe I could have been okay on Tylenol if they would have gave it to me three hours earlier. Right. Right. I don't know that. I've never done this before. Sure, sure, sure. Or even a lot of times we alternate and we do a scheduled ibuprofen and Tylenol and even give it to people, even if they aren't necessarily hurting because the risk is low and we can kind of stay on top of the pain that way. Did they offer you that option or did you have to, did you have to request pain medicine all the time? Um, so I had to request it until finally I said, can we please just do this every four hours? Mm -hmm. Because what was happening is if they weren't in my room right when I was due for it, I was back worse again. Okay. Um, And we only had to do this for, I think it was like maybe a day and a half, but it took me a minute to get them get, you know, I got a new nurse every 12 hours. So I had to get them in the swing of things like, please, the only thing I'm asking is stay on top of my medicine. Yes. Um, And that right there made me feel like I was acting like 
a drug addict because of how prominent I was, but I'd been in pain so many times that we're out of my control. I was frustrated at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can see that 100%, 100%. So then after a day and a day and a half is, is, can be a long time. I mean, a cesarean is a major surgery. You know, that's a long time to be potentially be struggling with pain. But do you feel like after that time you were able to get into a decent rhythm? Yes, absolutely. Like the doctor came and checked on me. I think it was. So I had her on a Friday. He came and checked me on Saturday. And I'm just like, this pain is awful. And come to find out, he actually prescribed me two Vicodin every four hours, but I'd only been taking one and that had been doing it. So mm. I'm glad to have heard um, that because just how my brain works, I can't say that I, I can't completely trust myself with pain medicine. Like what sure. the, what was it? The third day I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but I asked to stay an extra day. Mm -hmm. The doctor was going to release me on Sunday. And I said, can you, we wait till Monday just because the pain was still, it was getting better, but I was scared to be without nurse care. Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, that's fine. But he still wanted to prescribe both medicines to the pharmacy. So mm -hmm. my husband went and filled them. And after two days of taking them, I gave the pills to my husband. I said, you need to take these. I no longer need them. So I do not want them in my care. Gotcha. So gotcha. he took them. Yeah. 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 Well, good for you. Good for you. Again, trying to control the things that you can control. Yes. And, and being, not being naive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about what happened with your daughter. So she was um, in the NICU from fluid. And so she never stayed in our room. Like most babies, I think it's natural for them to go straight in the room with mm -hmm. the mom and the dad. Yeah, especially for 38 weeks. Yeah. Vast majority okay. would. Yeah. So once they got the fluid under control, then uh, she, it was actually Valentine's Day, was on Sunday. She Aww. got to come in and stay in the uh, night with us in the room. And then that morning, her uh, jaundice levels were high. So she had to go back in. Well, what else happened that morning was she started scoring outrageously high with their system they use, which I don't know if you can explain the yeah. scoring. Yeah. So there's a system that they use to determine whether or not a baby is having withdrawal symptoms. And I don't know it off the top of my head because honestly, once mom and baby are separate, I don't know a whole lot about what happens with the baby. Right, right, with right. You. But um, essentially they score things like crying, their reaction to things, how they look. It's like a whole system to decide if they're withdrawing based on how the baby's acting. Yes. Yeah, so she, um, it was like she needed three nines and they score her every feeding. So every three hours and she was like 11, 14, uh, 11. It was like, she clearly was starting. Um, so then after three nines, that's when they decide to start her on morphine. Okay. Which starts the whole <laughs> NICU adventure. Yeah. And how, how were you, how are you feeling at that point? Well, I knew it was like the pediatrician and the 
in the NICU said if she was going to, you know, it would take about three days because Subutex has a very long half-life mm -hmm. as it does for adults. Mm -hmm. um, so come day three, you know, it was like clockwork. She was, and I was glad that they did it. You know, they were very careful. They waited, they waited at least five days to send home babies to see if they're going to withdraw or not. Right. So the, Day three, she started, and from then, she got put on morphine. I was like, this is all right. I did not realize I was getting set up for over two weeks stay. Um, my feelings about it were okay at first, but after going in, because I was breastfeeding um, and watching the symptoms, um, which weren't so bad while she was on morphine. It's once we started weaning off morphine that um, really brought out some feelings in me. Um, I felt like I was living vicariously through her in the sense of we were both stuck because I was boarding. The hospital let me stay there with her. Mm -hmm. um, that every time I went to rehab, I it was always... I would be out on the streets if I didn't stay. So I was always stuck there. I never wanted to be there, but I had to do it um, sure. up until this last time. And so those feelings are what was coming out in me and then watching like, you know, this is my fault. My consequences are now being portrayed on another innocent human being. And as much as I've gotten my life together and done the right thing, this sucks. And I, at some points couldn't handle the effects of watching her go through it. I, I, that's just, that's a lot to deal with. Yes. A lot to deal with. Do you feel like you had help? Did, did the NICU provide any type of um, connection with resources or did you have your own counselor that you could talk to? Um, during my stay, I had reached out to, they have a mom's getting sober group that's actually run by one of their anesthesiologists. So okay. she came in and saw me, which was super great. And then they have a Zoom meeting they did every Wednesday. So I jumped on that, still felt a little uncomfortable. Like I didn't know these people. Um, I, it'd been nice to talk to a counselor or something because my feelings were really just getting portrayed to my husband, which I think I also sent him back to work because I wanted, he had a week to use and I wanted him to do that when we were back home. Sure. sure. So he's visiting every day, but because of COVID, once he left, he wasn't allowed back. So he had to pick a stretch to come stay. And then they had this awful sofa bed thing. They call it a bed, but it's not. <laughs> and so I wasn't going to make him even stay with me on the weekends, like go home, get in a good night rest because I was, um, you know, walking down to the NICU to feed her every three hours. Gotcha. Gotcha. So my gotcha. sleep was getting tested too. Yeah. <laughs> As it does with newborns. For oh my sure. gosh. <laughs> so she was ended up being in the hospital for 17 days. And was that just to get her completely weaned off of the morphine? Uh, yes. So let's see here. Increased. She Once she got on the morphine, she had to be increased two more times before her uh, withdrawal was managed. Okay. Um, and then once we started 
titrating. We uh, so February eighteenth. Wow, nine days we it took to get her off of the morphine. Okay, okay, okay. And then when when you went home, she was off of it. Uh, yes. Yeah. So once well, once she was off of it, then we had to have two observation days. Okay. Um, and then she had to stay under a certain score for those two days. Mm-hmm. And luckily we didn't have any setbacks, like didn't have to have, because sometimes babies have to get back on it. And sure. then once they're back on it, they got to wean and then have two more observation days. Gotcha. I thought I was never getting out of there, but I also didn't want to take home a withdrawal baby, which yeah. they definitely wouldn't have done. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how do you feel about the care that she received and that how you were, involved in her care while while she was in the NICU? Well, the NICU nurses were excellent. Um, I had to, in order to stay in my room and be a border mom, I had to participate in 50% of her care. And I forgot that they had told me that because I was involved in 100%. (laughs) I was down there like clockwork. They were coming to my room like you got... um, you have her milk because I had a little trouble with my supply at first. Gotcha. Um, but once I got to know them, and regardless, they were just awesome. Like I was not treated in any sort of way. Um, because there was other babies in there with withdrawing off of other stuff, and but still, they must just be trained super well because they had nothing they just every baby got treated the same and they let me be mom when I was in there and were available to answer any questions I had I was very impressed NICU nurses I swear are angels Uh, (laughs) (laughs) having my own first child in the NICU for eight weeks that I mean they are just you run into some special ones who are just like yeah they just it, they'll like okay come on get in here you're gonna do this you're gonna do I mean they just get you right involved they're just lovely, lovely people. (laughs) Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. 
Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So then once you got home, how were things once the two of you got, got home? Well, the first night was from hell. (laughs) It was really bad. And I think so when, as you know, I'm sure you know how their cribs in the NICU are uh, not really a crib. They're those little, they're kind of smaller, so to say. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, So all we had at home was a bassinet and a crib. Well, both of those are way bigger spaces than she was used to. So trying to get her to sleep for some reason, even like during the day, she was, she just screamed the first 24 hours she was here. And then we were both panicking. So I'm sure she was feeding off of that. So luckily she had her uh, follow-up pediatrician appointment the next day. And once we left there, we had a total different baby. Gotcha. Because we had our questions answered. We were freaking out. Sure, of course. <laughs> of course. You've never done this before. And then, like, babies can scream in the absence of having to go through the withdrawal piece. They can scream, period. So then you have, you know, you don't know if it's that or if it's because of the issues. So I'm sure you had a lot. Right. And then I had, um, well, I was breastfeeding and doing formula because mm-hmm. she wasn't getting enough. Um, so it was actually pump only pumping and breastfeeding once we got home. So then I had to deal with, um, once I decided the pumping was getting, it was interfering with my sanity after about a week that I had to be careful and wean her off my milk just in case the slight chance there was any medicine getting through there that we didn't affect her again. That makes perfect sense. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. So now she was born in February and now it is, as we're recording this, it is April. How are you feeling now? Well, I ended up um, talking to or getting back on my antidepressant. So ever since then, I, because I was feeling the disconnection bond thing in the beginning. And I was just as bad as this sounds like when we were home, it was like a job. That's all I could feel is like, now I have this little person Mm -hmm. to take care of. And that's all I couldn't feel anything more than it was a job to do. And I didn't feel that was right. And, um, talking to some other friends and stuff, they're like, you might be starting to get some, postpartum. I was just getting really discouraged. And then Mm -hmm. I was home by myself every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so first time I checked in with my psychiatrist, I'm like, everything's good. This was about 10 days after we got home. And then it was like five days later stuff. My thoughts, I was just like, not, I don't know if you want to call it the baby blues, but I was on antidepressants before I had her. Um, and I had been on them since I got clean. So did very well not being on anything while she was inside of me, but, um, I was not going to, because of my history, play around with when I knew I was headed down a downward spiral. Sure. Sure. So I'm back in connection with my psychiatrist and then from, um, I've talked to my mental health counselor once. I'll be talking to her monthly. I feel I'm getting 
a grip. My daughter just started daycare this week and I just went back to work this week as well. Okay. 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 That's a big transition. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like the connection has improved? Yes. Tremendously. And I think I had expectations of her. Like I felt like she didn't know who I was Uh and I'm still struggling with that a little bit. She's just now starting to smile. So that's helping. (laughs) Because when anybody picks her up, she'll stop crying. Like, everyone's like, she knows who you are. And I'm like, but she acts the same to everybody else because there's no, (laughs) there wasn't before any facial expressions or anything to say, like, that's my mom. Right, right, Um, right. So I'm, I'm coming around. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. A work in progress, but headed in the right direction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so after all that, I want to come back to, you said that now you won't have another baby without being off the Subutex completely. Yes. Okay. You just don't want to take the risk. <sighs> no. And it's going to take, um, cause I do, I do want to have another child. I want mm-hmm. her to have a sibling. Um, a lot of hard work, but I did from being in the hospital, I was introduced to a doctor who ironically is somehow associated with my work. And he is very well known in the area to help people get off of this. Oh, good. Because my doctor uh, that I'm on is, um, I'm just a number to him. Okay. Okay. So he's not going to be the one to help me get off of it. Okay. 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 All right. Well, I'm glad that you have found someone who will, will help you, you know, get off of it. So you feel comfortable going forward, um, with your next pregnancy and, and your life, I suppose. So, yes. You know, so as we wrap up, what is one thing that you want people to know about what it's like to have an addiction? Oh gosh. I would say that you're not alone and that I remember being, um, when I was using thinking like just that I had to accept this was the only way and this is just what the rest of my life was going to be like. And it's, there is another side, but you have to be ready to allow yourself to see that, see that you can change, Mm -hmm. um, you have to be willing. Nobody will be able to force you to, and until you're willing and ready, um, which hopefully you are, because if not, people are dying left and right. Um, you can, you can do it. And there's so many of us out there, like all you have to do is reach out for help. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then what is one piece of advice that you would tell other women and say, get ready to have their baby? Well, I would say that prepare yourself, have a support set up of people that can understand because at least for me, feelings of addiction and my past came up and I was very blindsided. So I would say be prepared that you could be triggered in ways that you didn't even know existed. So it's best to have whoever your support system is out there for your addiction, to have them on call, checking on you daily. Mm. Mm. Very, very good advice. 
Well, Cassie, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to the podcast. Um, Your story is very powerful and it's very personal. And I really, really appreciate you coming on. And I'm really grateful that you are here to tell your story because there are so many people who do not make it to the other side from having an addiction. Absolutely. You're welcome. All right. Wasn't that a great episode? Thank you again to Cassie for coming on and sharing her story. Of course, I'm wishing her all the best in her recovery from here and going forward. Now, you know, when we have someone on the episode, I do something called Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top three or four takeaways from the conversation. And here are my Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Cassie. Number one, not feeling a connection with your baby right away is really, really common. Yes, there are some people who will, you'll look into your baby's eyes and you'll feel that connection and you'll feel that love, but that does not happen for everybody. And that is totally, totally normal. Doesn't mean that you don't love your baby. Um, it's just, it takes longer to connect for some people. This is new for you. It's new for your baby. So don't be surprised if you don't experience that connection right away. Now, this is where community can be so incredibly important, okay? Where you can bring these type of concerns to a community that you know is non-judgmental, there's no shame, you can ask whatever and feel like you're going to get a useful and helpful response. That is the type of community that I have created as part of the birth preparation course. The birth preparation course is my online childbirth education class And part of the birth preparation course is an online Facebook community, because I really believe that social media communities can be very meaningful and helpful as well. And in the birth preparation course community, I am in the group, of course, the community manager of the group is an experienced doula, Keisha. But I honestly think the best part of the group is the ability for you to be able to connect with other pregnant folks and get your questions answered. Some of the things that have come up are like how to store breast milk. Can I please hear your um, stories about induction? Tell me about your experience with an unmedicated birth. Um, There was one post recently where a member felt like um, she thought for sure her uterus was prolapsing and she was kind of freaking out. So community members were able to rally to, to help her feel a little bit more at ease. So community is really, really important. And again, that's one of the important pieces about the birth preparation courses, not just community during your pregnancy, but community in the postpartum period as well. And I'd love to have you as part of that community. Check out all the details of the course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right, number two, it was really inexcusable how the nurses didn't respond to Cassie's request for pain management. That was great that she had her sister to advocate for her. And I highly suggest you have someone with you in the hospital to advocate for you as need be as well. But that was really inexcusable. Now, with that all being said, I will also add that postpartum pain management can be tricky especially if you have a cesarean, which is considered a major surgery. So you want to be able, or if you had, I would say like significant vaginal tears, that can also be tricky as well. 
So you want to have your pain under control and be able to move and function. But there is a real risk that if you use narcotics for actually, it can be as short as five to seven days, depending on your own sensitivity to it. Um, I would say uh, seven days or more on a regular basis that there is, it does increase the risk of having a long-term issue with it. I'm, I'm sure you've heard lots of stories where people have gotten addicted to pain medication after having a surgical procedure. So what I recommend for postpartum pain management is that you try first with acetaminophen, which is Tylenol and Motrin, which is ibuprofen. And you alternate those two things around the clock. They actually work synergistically together. So you alternate them and you take them around the clock, whether you're having pain or not. Okay. So you want to get ahead of the pain. It's so hard when you get to a situation where you're trying to play catch up with the pain. So you've like gotten like it's so bad and you're trying to play catch up. So you don't want to do that. So for the first two to three days, you want to take those alternate them around the clock and whether you're, you're, um, hurting or not. And that can be every four to six hours. And then you can use narcotics if need be to help for any pain that's breaking through. So then you can use narcotics and the lowest dose that's necessary in order to help with what's called that breakthrough pain. And some hospitals are not good about offering you Tylenol and Motrin first. Sometimes they default to the narcotic medication. So you want to be careful that you ask for, let me try Tylenol and Motrin together first. Okay. Also, I really think for a vaginal birth where you don't have any tears or you have a minor tear, most people will not need narcotic medicines in order to recover. Really those narcotics like oxycodone, um, a Vicodin, uh, dilated. Those things are really more for more severe tears or if you have a cesarean birth. The other thing I want to say about postpartum pain management is that you also have to do things other than just pills. So counterintuitively, actually getting up and moving around can help with recovery after a cesarean. Some of the worst pain after a cesarean is gas pain <laughs> and getting that, that those bowels moving can help relieve that pain more so than narcotics or, or Motrin or, or Tylenol. So moving around an abdominal binder can be really, really helpful for pain management. Also topical sprays, numbing medicines, using a peri bottle to spray water. I talk about this in detail also in the birth preparation course, but that gives you a flavor of some of the things that you can do and how to approach that postpartum pain management. Okay. And then the last thing I want to say is that let's remember that addiction is a disease. It is not a moral failing and we need to help people when they have an addiction problem, not judge them. Okay. So there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the all about pregnancy and birth podcast and Apple podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. And I really appreciate you leaving an honest review and Apple podcast in particular. It helps the show to grow and it helps other women to find the show. Also be sure to check out all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. So you can come join us in that community as well. So that's it for this episode. Come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, drnicolerankins.com to get even more great information, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. 
You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan that works, as well as everything you need to know about my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com and I will see you next week. Thank you.